Just a quick note, the interviews for this episode were recorded in late 2021, before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. You're listening to Resident. A 10-part series exploring individual perspectives on the immigrant experience in Ireland and the personal histories that led them here. This is episode 3, Oksana. My name is Oksana. I'm originally from Ukraine, like Eastern part. I moved to Ireland eight years ago. First, I lived in Dublin, then I moved with my husband to Portlaoise. And so far, so good. I like here. I grew up in Makievka, but like the nearest largest city is Donetsk, like 20 minutes away from me. And it has very big diversity of population, like different nations, but they would be mostly Russia, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, all post-Soviet Union countries. So, like, just speaking, like, Russian language and hearing, like, English would be very different. I grew up in a flat. I had a lot of neighbors, and it was quite close to the park and the lake. So the scenery was nice. Like, my mom and my dad would always take us for walks. And there was a, a particular part that I loved, along Chestnut Alley, like a walk. And during the autumn, whenever the leaves are turning red and golden, so colorful, I would like to just run through those leaves just to hear the sound and try to escape the chestnuts that fall on your head. <laughs> we always try to do something together, have some family time together. Like, my dad would work, like, long hours because I wouldn't see him that often. And then my mother was working a lot as well as a teacher. But they were always trying to find a time for us. So, you know, we wouldn't feel the absence of the parents. And our granny was living with us, so she was always giving us a lot of attention. And we used to make a dumplings, like a pilmeni, Russian dumplings. So they have, like, a meat inside of the dough. So there would be a whole process. My dad would get meat and then he would mince it. My mom would make a dough. My sister would roll it and make like a molds. My granny would put like mince, a spoon to mince in a dumpling and then I would have to pinch it. <laughs> so there would be a whole process involving the whole family. <laughs> so I was, I was very lucky to grow up and have a happy childhood. I have an older sister. We have nine years difference. I would always want to follow her, and she was, you know, like, too cool. <laughs> I mean, she w- she's always looking after me, you know, like, I remember when she started working, her first job, she started buying me clothes, and she would take me out, like, uh, for a trip or go to amusement park. And whenever we go shopping, she would take me with her. And it was so funny, like, shopping in Ireland and shopping in Ukraine, completely different. Like, 1995 or whatever it would be. USSR just collapsed and we would have like markets and everybody have a little stalls and you just go and, you know, if it's winter or summer, you try your clothes on a piece of paper <laughs> in the rain. It's so crowded as well and people pushing you and you try to 
bit surprised, you know, like your bargain. <laughs> so it is experience. The shopping malls started just appearing maybe in late 2000s. And it was so amazing. So people would just go a whole family just to look like, oh my God, everything in one place is. I do miss those times, you know, just socializing and just to go out with her. And I thought it was very nice. I was like, oh, my sister is so cool. (laughs) I wish I could take her now out. We do talk online. We do talk on WhatsApp or Skype, but it's not the same. Like before I came to Ireland, my sister was pregnant. And I think I saw my nephew in person maybe twice in my life. And I'm his godmother. So it is very, very weird. The last time I was there, he was around maybe one or two. And now he's eight. And it's just like time passed so fast. After school, I had to decide where I need to go to university. I was 16, and I had no clue what I want to do. <laughs> like, I literally didn't know what to do. So my parents helped me to decide. Like, my parents decided for my sister. She would do economics, and she was happy. So I was like, yeah, you can decide for me. So they chose civil engineering. And I did enjoy it for a year or two, but then I realized it wasn't mine. And then another pressure, you know, on you is like, you can't drop university even if you're not happy. What other people would say? Why did you drop off? Why did you take a gap year? Why didn't she get married? She's already 22. She's not married. If I had this brain given back like 10 years, I would question, I would say like, listen, it's not working out. It's not the end of the world if I'll drop out. But the way I grew up, I was like, no, my parents said that one. They know better. <laughs> Since I was 12, I had the idea that I want to live abroad for a little bit. My mother, she went to London as a teacher exchange project. When she came back, she was so excited and she was telling me all the stories about people driving on the left side. Like, how, how is it possible? You're supposed to drive on the right side. That's nonsense. You know, those kind of things. And you just start questioning yourself. Like, what else outside? You can't stay all your life in one place and don't have a desire to, to see the world. You, you're not a tree, you can, you can travel. So I always want to go for a year or two somewhere just to improve my English and just to travel before I actually settle down, get a job, get married. And yeah, so I knew I wasn't happy already in engineering. So I just thought like, I'm going to do a gap year. And somebody told me about this uh, European Volunteer Service, EVS. So you can go for a year to a different country and just volunteer there, experience it, and then come back. So I started looking for those projects. I didn't tell my parents, didn't tell anybody. And then one day I got a letter from Ireland that they are willing to give me an interview. I was so nervous. <laughs> and then on actual interview day, it was so horrible. The connection was bad. And I would probably be saying like the same question, like, could you say it again? I do speak English seriously. <laughs> Please believe me. I was so sure I was fail. I failed. I was like, no, that's it. That's it. When in a few weeks I got a reply, we'd like to offer you a volunteering position for a year. Would you be interested? Like, yes, yes. And this is the time to tell my parents I'm going for a year. <laughs> my mom was like, she was a bit speechless first, but then 
She, I'm uh, surprised that she supported me. My mom, she's an amazing person. She has her own business. The little school, she teaches kids English. I'm very grateful to her because she taught me English. I never wanted to learn it. Like, I was a very stubborn child. She literally forced me. She's like, you need to sit down and you need to learn it. It's, you'll need it in the future. And I was like, why would I need it in the future? Nobody speaks English in, in Ukraine. But my mother, she's a very smart woman. She's very smart. She's very strong. And she said, like, you need it. You need it in the future. So we would sit after my classes in the evening and she would be sitting with me. And she was like, and I still remember, I am. You are. She, <laughs> she, it is. I'm like, oh. And I was like, I was crying, like, I don't want to learn it. I don't want to learn it. And then when I was accepted, the first thing that I went, I was like, Mom, thank you. If it wasn't your dedication, if it wasn't your, you know, willpower to teach me, I wouldn't make it. So you only appreciate what parents do for you when you're growing up. So the first time to go on my own to Ireland... The journey would start not even in airport. You need to get first to Kiev. There used to be a speed train that would be only seven hours in you in Kiev. That's a speed train. So it was a long journey and my mom would go with me. And I still remember in airport, I was like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And I was walking away. Like I turned my back to her and I just could feel my 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 eyes were tearing. And I was sobbing. <laughs> And I was just like trying not to look back because I would just burst into tears. Because you think you're cool, you know, like, yeah, I'm going for a year. <laughs> and they're like, mommy, <laughs> but I'm not going to see my parents, my friends. Like in my family, I was called Malish and it's called little baby. <laughs> like I was like <laughs> 20, 21 and I was still Malish. So I was like in this cocoon, like always look after. And I didn't know anybody in Dublin that's the thing about this project so you come from different country you live with different volunteers you don't know anybody and all everybody speaking English like why everybody speaking English <laughs> it was just so hard you know just to immerse yourself and constantly you know try to speak different language I felt like my head's gonna like explode with all this new information new experiences so yeah no it was brilliant I mean, I was, like, extremely happy for maybe the first few months. But see, like, after a month and a half, I would say, I started feeling homesick. And I remember I went to the Moore Street Lidl, and I heard somebody speaking Russian. And I just ran to them, like, you speak Russian? Where are you from? And they're like, go away, go away. <laughs> Why are you following us? Go away. You're like, talk to me, please. That's the thing, like, when you just arrive, you're still excited, and whenever you hear your own language, you just, you want to talk. When I came to Ireland, nothing was happening, like, everything was still quiet and calm in Ukraine. And around maybe half a year, things started getting worse. In 2013, when it turned out that uh, a former president, he was quite in corruption and he was stealing a lot and just people weren't happy with it and so he had to run away to Russia. And after that it just escalated and a few regions like Donetsk and Lugansk, they separated and become an unrecognized country and Crimea joined Russia. So it was very sad to see all that conflict. Like for me it was so unreal because, you know, when I was living, I was, you know, I was Ukrainian. At the moment, 
my part of Ukraine is not Ukraine anymore. It's unrecognized country, Donetsk National Republic. In 2012, there was a huge championship in Donetsk, like football league, and so many money was invested in the renovations in the city. It was amazing. The new airport was built. All the streets were like polished. Like I was volunteering in the stadium with my best friend. And it was amazing experience, you know, for the youth, for everybody, for for the country. It was great. And then in a year, it was all gone. It is really sad. Like the airport is bombed. Like it used to be so convenient. You fly from Dublin to Kiev, then from there you fly to Donetsk. It would take you only a day. The last time I went there, it was four days took me. With all the transitions, I flew to Kiev, then I had to take a bus that brings me close enough to border between Ukraine and Donetsk National Republic. And you need some kind of special visa to enter this uh, conflict zone to my hometown. And the way they treat people on, on that border is just horrible. You would be there like standing like hours and they could turn you around and send you back if they just don't like you. And it would be summer, it would be heat, like 40 degrees and there is no shelters, like no toilets. And you can't go to the field because it could be mined. So you don't want, you know, die like that. And it is so sad because we're same, you know, same nation. We were born, you know, in Ukraine. We grow up there. It's our country. And between those two, you know, Ukraine and Donetsk, there is a gray zone. And when the war was active, if you stuck there, there, were, there is a big chance you're not going to make it. Like so many people I heard from my parents died because they went there and somebody started shooting and nobody knows who is shooting. Ukraine says Russia, Russia says Ukraine or, you know, Donetsk. Nobody's going to take the blame, never. When I came to Ireland, as I said, I barely knew anybody and I missed my family a lot. Yeah, there were times like I would call every day. But still, you know, like you're still craving for people attention, you know, you know, socially and just talking. So I decided like I'm gonna go on a dating website. <laughs> but I did say I'm not looking for a relationship, I'm looking for your friends. And then just like I met Steven. <laughs> so we started talking online and one day we met. I was particularly homesick and I was crying, like, I want to go home, I miss my parents. So we spent maybe four or five hours just walking around the Dublin and just talking and then like, well, I'm very comfortable with him. He just, he was there, he listened to me and I could feel that I could rely on him. And then he talked to me every day, he would come every day like just to talk to me. Maybe that's why it was easier for me to adapt to Ireland, because I met Steven in my be- in the beginning of my journey. I could always know that he is, you know, like on my side and he would support me. And so I didn't want to leave him, you know, in Ireland. And I didn't have much back home. I didn't have uh, work. You know, I didn't have my passion. I didn't. I didn't know what to do with my life. So I just thought, like, yeah, I would stay. We'll see what it goes. I can always go back. And then, like, later he proposed. I th- <laughs> it was so funny, because he was like, I propose you to get married to me, but it's not an official proposal. <laughs> like, what's not official? I don't have a ring yet, but, you know, I have a plan for that. Like, okay. 
And I was talking to my mother. She's like, oh, he proposed to you? Yes, but that's not official. Like, what does it mean not official? <laughs> so he had to propose a second time when my mother was here. <laughs> like, we were in Sands End Park, and we went for a walk, and he had a ring then. He was like, this is official proposal. The second time I'll say yes as well. <laughs> So it is great. Like, I'm very lucky with him. He's more lucky with me, but I'm very lucky with him. <laughs> yeah. We did actually went with Steven to Donetsk when things were getting, like, just, you know, like, spicy. And I heard a shooting from far away. We were next to the huge stadium that was Arena. And I heard, like, from far away shooting. And then we saw the troops of people running towards us. And they start taking off, you know, the ammunition and throwing the guns on the ground, the helmets, and just run away. Just, you know, the feeling of insecurities, it's not happening to you until it's actually happening. Like, I was there and you see, like, armed people walking or just tanks or whatever they're called. They're driving and you don't know what's happening and... If they're going to just pass or is going to start something happening now. And for me, like, I really want to cry at some point. Just like I couldn't understand how people just can allow this. That they can't find the solutions. Like, like why would you need to go through all of these troubles? The last time I went there, maybe it was five years ago. The conflict was more or less settled, but it was still active. Not as bad as it used to be. And my sister has a small house on the outskirts of Makievka. That house my grandfather built. And next to the house there is an old walnut tree. And in the evening, when my sister put my nephew to sleep, we were sitting and just having tea under that walnut. And it was around like maybe 10 o'clock. And then like, suddenly I just could hear like shooting. And I could see, you know, like the sky is getting red. My first thought was jump and hide under the table. So that's what I started doing. And she was like, what are you doing? And she was so calm. She was sitting drinking tea. She was like, it's fine. They'll shoot a bit and they'll come down. I was like, you're not scared that it's going to get there. Like, it might get, it might not gear. So what's the point to worry? I was so shaken. I was so scared. And she was so calm. And that made me make me want to cry because my nephew, that's how he is going to grow up. He was born in this situation. And that's the thing, you know, you don't think this could happen to you until it actually happens or happens to somebody you know. And then it, your world's changing. And the worst part, it's only changing for you. Everything is the same. Nobody understands it. My family, my sister, my parents, they, they try to stay positive. Because they never say what's happened to me. They're trying to spare my feelings. And then whenever I see or hear news, it just gets me worse. And that's that's a part of the family. You always try to protect the feelings of the others. Like, my parents, they are fine because my mother, she has her own business. So they have some income. And that's the thing. Like, my parents, in their late 60s, and they still have to work. And other pensioners that are more disabled or they don't have kids who can support them. You don't know how they're surviving. And you always hope that it's going to go back, but it's been almost 10 years. It is still, you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And I wouldn't say the people who are rich or in power, they are suffering. Because whenever Sestra, they just flew somewhere else and that's it. But it's more like a common, you know, citizen. They just had to stay and endure with it and suffer. Honestly, with all my heart, I, I hope that soon enough we could go back to Ukraine again. Or, you know, if we could join Russia, it would be good as well. I just don't want to see my nephew growing in unrecognized country, having less possibilities and less opportunities. I just really hope that this is gonna resolve, that it's gonna be peaceful again, that it just, it is unfair. Makievka is so close to Donetsk, so it's like literally as a district, and Donetsk is over a million, so it's a huge city. And then I moved to Dublin, also quite large city, and then we moved to Portlish, <laughs> where people say good morning to you, how are you, what a lovely weather. I was so shocked when I walked on the street and people stopped like, oh, what a lovely day, how are you today, like, what do you want from me? <laughs> I don't have anything on me, please leave. And now I've just turned one of them. I would cycle to work and I would be on my bike smiling to everybody. Oh, such a lovely morning. How are you? What a lovely weather. When we just moved to Pratlish, we're like, it's temporary. It's temporary. But now I I have like social life there. We have like lots of friends. We know everything there. And people are so genuine and so open in the countryside. We're actually currently looking for the mortgage. We're thinking about getting a house there. Yeah, I do like Portlish now a lot. We're quite happy there. It is funny. I never imagined I would be working in a bakery. I mean, I was always passionate about pastries, but mostly eating them. My granny, she used to bake amazing pies and cakes, like a Russian honey cake, nice and sweet. And we have uh, in our garden a sour cherry tree. So we would go together in the morning to the garden and pick sour cherries together. And then we would, well, I would look, she would make it, and I would eat it. That was a part of the deal. <laughs> and my mother and my sister, they're good bakers, but I just wasn't into it. Like, my education is civil engineering, and I work as a baker now. I mean, you never know where life could lead you. But it is hard to go to a bakery with a grumpy face when you just walk by and you can smell the freshly baked bread or like a croissant, you know, the buttery taste. It's like, you walk there like, like I don't eat anything, but then you get that and that and that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I love my job and I'm looking forward to go there every day. And like, we have such a variety. We have a Polish person, two Latvians. We have a guy from Congo. We have two Brazilian chefs now. We had somebody from Germany, from States, you know, like such a variety. Like, and it's so accepting, you know, like I never felt appreciated like in other jobs as I do appreciate it here. So I love it so much. It took me a few years to find what I actually like. But being patient and believe that, you know, something there waiting for you is... It's very important not to lose the hope. I just came back a few weeks ago from Turkey to meet with my mom. She was like, we haven't seen each other in so many years, we need to go. It was amazing. And the funny part, I was the only English-speaking person there. 
Because <laughs> apparently Turkey is for Russian. Like, everybody speak Russian. Even in the shop, and they were from Ukraine or Russia. Everybody just like, Привет, как дела? Like, oh my god, it's so nice. <laughs> it's so weird, but it's so nice. I forgot how I miss speaking Russian. But saying that, you know, like, part of me is still kind of worries when I meet people, especially from Russia or from Western Ukraine. How are they going to react? I better not to say that I'm from Eastern Ukraine. I feel insecure about that. I feel quite vulnerable talking about that. And whenever somebody asked, oh, where are you from? I was like, I don't know if I should tell that. <laughs> but when I was there, everybody was so understanding. And they're like, no, it's not your fault. It's not people's fault. Like seeing that people, are, they understand and they support and they sympathize you. It, it is nice. And yeah, to see my mother, it was, it was very emotional, yeah. I didn't realize I missed her that much until I actually met her. And it was very hard to say goodbye again. Just I, I know I'll see her again soon, well, hopefully soon, sooner than three years, but yeah. You just don't realize you miss somebody until, you know, until you're on your own. <laughs> So I applied for Irish citizenship, like before the pandemic. I applied for so long and gathered all the documents and going through all this process. And then I went to Killarney. And I, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> I was happy, I was proud as well. But then I was very sad because I would need to give up on my Ukrainian citizenship because Ukraine doesn't have dual citizenship. So I would have to choose. It, it took me, you know, a lot of thoughts and consideration before I applied for citizenship. But now I am proud to be Irish-Ukrainian or Ukrainian-Irish. I do feel that Ireland is my home now. But my heart is still with Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. This has been a Bearprint Media production produced by Bjorn McGilla and me, Rob Flynn. Edit and mixed by me with original music by Haku Yo of Sonic Gate Studios. Special thanks to all our contributors for making this series possible. This series was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television license fee. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Thanks very much for your support.